Uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Well, apparently Carrie's about two foot taller than I am. See if I can get that down here where normal people are. <laughs> Praise God. Thank you again for your love, for the gifts. Uh, I apologize. Uh, Sheila's talked about her voice. My voice isn't going to be much stronger than hers. And then Aaron's homesick, so Merry Christmas. <laughs> We've had a great season, and uh, uh, we're all kind of, you know, when you have a weekend like last weekend, <clears throat> a lot of music and a lot of worship, and, and of course it was a full day. We, we make no bones about that. But it's like working youth camp. You think at the end of the week of camp, if you've ever worked on those camps, you think, I'm so tired, I will never work another camp. <clears throat> and all you have to do is get a little bit of rest in your body. Thank you. And uh, then you're ready to work another camp. So uh, uh, this music, thank you. I feel like I'm at home now. Uh, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, with the... With all of the effort of last week, the, the gift that was given to us last week, we'll just keep on giving. As they talked about, get on Vimeo or the website, Facebook, and um, take it as a tool and bless some other people that gather in your home over the holidays, and, uh, and hopefully they'll hear some of the music here and think, man, that's really, really good. But I want us as Grace Life to also just give God thanks. We've got talent in the house. And not everybody has that privilege, and I don't want to ever overlook that. Uh, I've served in places where we haven't been as blessed as we are here. Sometimes you can just take that for granted. But we're blessed in every capacity. God has been good to us. Today, I, uh, Carrie, you won't have to play for me. Thank you. I, I, um, I want to be as simple as I can be today. I know it's Christmas. And I don't want to be a Scrooge. I don't want to be a Grinch. I want us to get to what all the music and the recitation of Advent has been saying to us. And I'm, I'm looking down now as you're looking forward. And we're looking at a nativity scene. And we all are familiar with this look. Uh, it'll be on the screen in just a moment. Of this typical look of some Alpine village stable. And we have these incredibly... Uh, wardrobed uh, wise men from the east and we have shepherds that are well groomed um, and smell so good as they come to this alpine village stable and of course we have Mary the mother of Jesus who looks like uh, she's just left uh, uh, the spa instead of giving birth to a child and all of you ladies who's ever given birth know that that's probably not the way she looked. And again, so again, I'm not trying to take away from the joy of the season. I want us to really embrace the greater joy of the season. And that is what happened that night so long ago is just was sung about. It's more than a memory. It is the story of how God so loved the world that he gave us his son. That's the real story here. I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. This is the story 
that we're familiar with, but are we too familiar with it? So let it speak to us today where we are. I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. And let this just speak to you personally about your salvation. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed, engaged to Joseph, before they came together, before they had sexual union together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, in other words, she's pregnant, I had nothing to do with that, resolved to divorce her quietly instead of putting her on Facebook and social media. <laughs> but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is not from a man, but from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. You see, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. We called his name Jesus. Just pause for a minute, will you? Just close your eyes and breathe the story in and let it minister to us again. Thank you, God, for the gift of of God to us to be God with us. Oh, we are a blessed people. Let us once again be renewed in our faith and renewed in our spirit of that which you did so long ago that's still changing our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to take just the next few minutes and again establish where we are in the story, because you see, if you had read the first few verses of chapter 1, you would find one of those boring passages of Scripture we call genealogies. And if you have King James, you have the begats, and so-and-so begats so-and-so. And you will find there, as you read through the genealogy here, typically it's speaking of a name, and they would say they're the father of, and then another name, and they're the father of, all the way up until Joseph. And instead of it saying Joseph, the father of Jesus, it says Joseph, the husband of Mary. It changed. And in that signal, it then tells us that Jesus was born of Mary. Where does that come from? I mean, we thought we just kind of came up with it in this politically correct hour here in the 21st century, 
And yet, back in, you've got to know how powerful this statement is. That at this time, this, would, this verbiage would have never been used. Except in this case. Because already it's declaring Joseph is not the father. He's the caretaker, but he's not the father. Then we find out that she is a virgin who's pregnant. Artificial insimilation? No, that which is in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then we go back to realize that this prophecy had been declared 700 years prior by Isaiah. And Isaiah said, and this shall be a sign to you. That's where you and I come in. We've heard the story. We've seen the story since we were children. It warms our hearts as children. When we see this scene starting to show up in our homes, we realize that the Christmas tree is also going up and we're going to get presents and we tie all this together. There's another struggle that we have in this hour. And that is because we are a culture of Hollywood and we have now enjoyed the privilege of incredible cinema, we now know what it is for Hollywood to present to us the mystical and the magical. But you see, what happened on that night so long ago was not mystical, nor was it magical. It was miraculous. And there's the difference that we cannot afford to lose, not only in this story, but the way we live our lives out. You see, if we're not careful, those of us that grew up with black and white TV and we watched Bewitched and we watched this lady twitch her nose, and all of a sudden she could have what she said and she teaches her daughter how to do that, we can take our faith and mix it and pollute it with the culture so much is that we lose the miraculous of God. Well, if I can just win the lottery, wouldn't it be magical? If I could just, and we go on with story after story, and we don't even realize that it's eroding our faith. It's one thing to have an imagination. And I'm going to be the first to stand here and say, let our children continue to have imagination. Can I hear an amen in the house? Amen. But at the same time, it is our responsibility of being people of faith and letting them know it's great to have imagination and to exercise that, but there is something that God does for us that man cannot do, and it is the miracle working power of God in our lives that saves us, that restores us, that gives to us things that no other medium can give us. Sometimes it's a miracle of healing in our bodies. Sometimes it's the miracle of delivering us from an addiction that we tried everything else and nothing else could help us. You see, God is still on his throne. If we don't believe this story, we have nothing to stand upon today to believe that God can do something else miraculous in our life. God took the time to say, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to give you 700 years to get ready for it. And yet, when it showed up, only a few were still in position to receive it. We're still talking about it 2,000 years later, but do we believe in the story 
and that it was mystical? Or do we realize it is the story of the miraculous? Again, it is the foundation of our faith. I want you to turn with me also to Ephesians. Ephesians, oh, there's no Christmas story there. Oh, wow. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to us of fivefold ministry. God has given to the church this fivefold ministry that's still in operation today. To some, he gives an apostolic calling, to some, prophetic, to some, the work of evangelism, to others, pastors, to others, teachers. And there's a purpose behind all this, and you'll find chapter 4, verse 13 says, until we all, somebody say all, all. somebody say that means me, <laughs> attain to the unity of the faith, the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer, man, if there's ever been a message to this culture, to this hour that we live in, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about with every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which with it is equipped. With each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I just mentioned to Pastor Jason a little while ago, I served as a youth pastor for many years in several different congregations. I served youth not only at the local scene, but in leadership roles, in, in state responsibilities for the denomination. Pastor Jason has followed 20 years later, serving many years as youth pastor. And here we are now in this time, in this present culture, where many of our students, many of our children, that were just yesterday kids who are adults now, have abandoned the faith. What's happened? I know this. I'm supposed to be talking about the fun side of Christmas right now. But you see, it keeps coming back to the story. Do we believe the Word of God? And do we believe that it is true? You see, back to this culture that we're talking about now, those that were in our youth groups just yesterday that are adults now, they are living in a culture that no longer embraces the miraculous of God. They'll allow us to take the mystical side of a story. In other words, we live in a culture now that does not want to accept that someone can believe in absolute truth. It gets quiet every time you mention something like that. Because today we are supposed to believe in relative truth. Relative truth says, I have a truth, you have a truth, you have a truth. Let's all get together and just accept our relativisms and our truths. But you see, there is no such thing as relative truth. 
There was only absolute truth. Amen. Truth is truth no matter what year you were born, what state you were born, what country you were born, who your parents were. Truth is truth. The absolute truth is there was a God who was alive, who was a vibrant, and who was miraculous. There was a God who loves the world so much that he gave us his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not have to perish in its culture, but have everlasting life. Do we believe that today? For the young today in this culture, they will pay a tremendous price to stand up for absolute truth. This is why I read from Ephesians that says, now we will contend against human cunningness. In other words, incredible dynamic personalities that the culture has embraced with social media. And if we have to take a position against them, we know who the culture will embrace. Oh, so-and-so is a celebrity. They're celebrated among us. Surely they're not wrong. You are the simpleton to actually believe that a virgin could conceive a child without human contact. This is where we are today. You see, I make no apologies about preaching a message like this on a Christmas week. Because Christmas has to become real to us again. Christmas has to become a conviction to us. This is, this is the core of the message today. Josh McDowell is the one who coined this phrase, and I'm going to echo his voice. We must move beyond belief to a place of conviction. You see, you can believe something, but that doesn't make it a truth. You see, I could believe that I'm seven foot tall, but that wouldn't make it a truth. I could believe that I'm the best looking man in the house, but that wouldn't necessarily make it the truth. I can believe a lot of things because I want to believe, but that doesn't make it the truth. My father-in-law used to make comments like that. He always enjoyed horses. He said, I can walk into a barn, but that doesn't make me a horse. He could have believed it could have been a horse, but it didn't make it so. And this is where now we must do our greatest work of discipleship. Coming back to what seemingly had been given away as a simple story that the world could capture and enjoy a nice moment. Or we can come back to the original truth that 700 years prior, God gave a prophecy to the world. I'm going to give you a sign. And that sign is there shall be a virgin who shall conceive of the Holy Spirit. And that which is conceived in her is God. And this God will be birthed and live a normal lifetime, but will remain God. Do we believe that today? Do we believe that? Well, we're back to this culture. We're back to a culture if we just have belief. You see, we've got to come to a place of conviction that says, maybe I just believe because I'm in a dynamic church or a large youth group or the music 
and I'm swept up into a decision right now, and I, and I pray a simple prayer at an altar in a gymnasium or a sanctuary or a youth camp or, or somewhere, but is it a conviction? You see, it takes conviction to believe that Mary was a virgin. It takes conviction to stand up to a culture that says, you know, we're more sophisticated than that now. We're more educated than that. You see, the other Bible stories that we read are coming more to life to us today in this culture than previous times for most of us. For you see, you take a Joseph, and that's a great story now, but you see, he was a real person who had to stand up against the most powerful woman in the country and her seducting ways. And he said no to her. No one said no to her. But he did. And it cost him greatly. Daniel stood up to an entire culture. We like reading the Bible story. We believe it. But is it a conviction? That we as well can say, if I must also stand up against the culture, do I have the strength to do that? The only way to do that is have a conviction. If I can camp out here just another moment. Because the word conviction is a word that was used pretty readily when I was in my teen years. But I don't hear it near as often today. Convictions were things we talked about that sometimes came down to a personal nature. Carrie already alluded to earlier, a lot of times there were church traditions that were talked about. And sometimes you didn't do things, and sometimes you did do things because your church said, we don't or we do. And we did that in an allegiance unto that house. But there were also those things that became personal to us. You would be on a date with somebody and there would be things that weren't necessarily evil or sin, but someone on that date would say, I can't go there or I'm not going to participate or I'm not going to go to an R-rated movie. Why? And every once in a while you hear somebody say, well, I have a personal conviction. Is this preaching to anybody today? In other words, in that moment, I have the right of saying yes or no and the world won't stop. But you see, I have a relationship with God that says, but he's watching me. You see, now we're going from just having a conceptual relationship to the story to a relational position in the story. It's become real to me. It's become personal to me. The personal convictions would cause you at times to be mocked. I've had my moments when somebody would even laugh me to scorn. You, you don't believe in what? You don't do it because why? You see, but it was that relationship that was the most important to us that would cause us to say, it's okay if you don't understand me. And yes, you may walk away from that and have your feelings hurt. Can I have an amen in the house? But as you walked away, you realized... But there was something happening in me in the same moment. A strength swelled up inside of me. I was able to say no to this handsome young man, this beautiful young lady, this group of peers 
this position of the culture because the most important relationship I have in my entire life is my relationship to God himself. We have to return to that church. If we're not there already, we must return to a place that moves beyond just believing and have conviction. As I've evaluated myself in my adult years and others critiquing me, I've had some people say I'm negative. I've had some say I'm optimistic. The position I've tried to take is that of being the realist. We take the position and we use the statement quite readily today, it is what it is. When it comes to my responsibility as a pastor, as a shepherd, as a leader, there's different things that come along with the job. There are things that are expected from different people. Some people expect this. Some people expect this. Some people actually expect me to walk on water. I haven't got that job done yet. But when it comes to it is what it is, I have to take responsibility. What's the fruit being produced under my leadership? Because I'm going to face a God who's going to do more than critique me. He's going to judge me. And that's why I preach messages like I am today. Taking opportunity of the moment of a great time of the year, of a lot of joy and a lot of fun, a lot of happiness, other people battling extreme depressions this time of year. But whatever the case, one more time, would you go back to the story? Can it be more than just this pretty little picture in our mind? Can it be that, but deeper than that? God so loved me that he prepared a way for me that I would no longer be bound to sin, but he would send a deliverer who would be tempted in every point as I would be tempted in life and do it perfectly so that as I surrender my life to him, I now can live a life of victory. And I can live a life of strength. When the crowds enjoy my presence, it's wonderful. But if the crowds turn against me because of my position of faith, there is a power of God that can reside in us that can say no to the culture if it isn't in alignment with God's perfect will. I'm praying that God will raise up Joseph's in this present day and Daniel's in this present day and Esther's in this present day and Mary's in this present day who have the strength about them to say, I believe to a point of conviction. As I close today, we're coming back to now this thing called Advent. And you notice that there are four candles, and we've taken the time these last four weeks, including today, to talk about faith and hope and joy and love. But for those of you that may not have an idea what Advent really is, Advent simply means a coming. The first two weeks looks back to this Advent when God came to this earth the first time. 
the last two weeks, including today, <clears throat> this advent of prophecy or revelation is speaking about this same God who came the first time is the very same God who's coming a second time. The question is, in the Bible, when he returns, shall he find faith upon the earth? If I can help somebody here today so they don't think I'm totally negative, but the realist. I do believe that God is pouring out of his spirit in this day and in this hour. And God is raising up leaders, strong believers to conviction in this hour, to be light, to be strength. Instead of just saying yes to the culture, I'm going to say yes to my God. That God would pour out of his spirit that even our sons and daughters shall prophesy. Prophesy what? Declaring that thus saith the word of God. God is alive and he's a God of the miraculous. You see, when God came the first time, his coming was miraculous, not magical or mystical. And in his death, it remained miraculous. Because you see, what happened in his lifetime had never happened until he came. A virgin gave birth to a son. That had never happened. And it hasn't happened since. But you see, when he died, no one had ever come back from the dead. But he arose. Can I hear an amen in the house? And because of that truth, you and I have a promise that when we die, we shall rise again if we have a conviction that drives us in our faith to believe that a virgin could give birth to a son who was actually God. Would you stand with me today? <clears throat> 